This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample. I'm your host, Dina Marie Hale, and today we're going to focus on the Holy Eucharist and having a Eucharistic revival. With that, Archbishop, would you please help us open our program in prayer? Yes, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you gave us the Eucharist as a memorial of your suffering and death. May our worship of this sacrament of your body and blood Help us to experience the salvation you won for us in the peace of the kingdom, where you live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'd like to begin just by recapping your celebration of Corpus Christi, and, and maybe even that will help lead us into the beauty of the Eucharist and the life that is the Holy Eucharist, but you gathered. This has been a few years now to gather in the cathedral uh, and have a, a procession all the way into the park blocks of Portland and to bring Jesus out into the streets with this um, Eucharistic procession. Just maybe your thoughts and reflections of this year's particular Corpus Christi celebration. Yeah, it was, it was, it was beautiful because it was great to be able to return uh, to this wonderful practice this year of, of doing the Eucharistic procession. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, this is tradition in the church, um, an ancient tradition uh, of the church on the, on the solemnity of Corpus Christi to do a Eucharistic procession. In fact, it's one of the recommended, if you will, ways of honoring our Lord in the most Holy Eucharist, especially on solemn occasions, such as the solemnity of Corpus Christi. Uh, to to process with our Lord, it, it, it's not meant to be a, a, a sort of a, a in your face with our faith kind of thing. It's it's a it's a public witness mm -hmm. uh, to our belief and faith in the Most Holy Eucharist. To be able to take our Lord in the Eucharist out of the church, out into the streets, and there to allow Christ to be shown forth uh, to others. It's 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 a powerful, really a witness of our faith in the Eucharist, you know, and, and the custom, uh, this tradition of, of, of Eucharistic processions, especially on this feast day, they began, of course, in, in, in a time and in countries, in villages and cities and towns where the faith was, you know, largely practiced by everybody. You know, so if, uh, you know, your little town, let's say in France or Italy, uh, you know, centuries ago was going to do a Corpus Christi procession, the whole town 
would be involved in it. It would be a celebration of the whole city. The whole city would look forward to the solemnity of Corpus Christi in order to, to have the Eucharistic procession. The whole town would turn out for the procession and many would actually participate and walk in the procession uh, themselves. But it would be really this faith, the whole town uh, witnessing to their faith in Christ. Well, that is, is very different now in our time, certainly, especially here in the city of Portland. Uh, you know, there's the Catholic population in Portland is actually very small percentage wise. And we know that in the Pacific Northwest in general, and certainly in the metro area of Portland in particular, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a highly unchurched, shall we say, part of, of, of the Lord's Vineyard, where many people, most people, uh, do not identify uh, as religious people, it's maybe spiritual, but, but not religious. Uh, so an organized religion is, is something very foreign to people. So it's not like, <laughs> it's not like when we do the Eucharist procession from the cathedral into the uh, city streets of Portland, it's a, something that, you know, the whole neighborhood celebrates and comes out for, and it takes on a very different feel, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this evangelical witness mm-hmm. of our faith that we'll even go out into the streets where uh, people do not believe in order to show forth Christ Jesus to them and hopefully spark in them something of a response, you know, and, and we've had that happen before we, in the, in the past, uh, we have processed from the cathedral down into what we call the North park uh, district uh, in, in Portland, uh, several blocks from the cathedral. And we would pray the rosary there and then process back. But that would take us right through some of the business district of the Pearl district. Mm-hmm. You know, so we'd be walking, marching down the street in solemn procession with the blessed sacrament. And people are like, wow, what is that all about? And it sparks interest. Uh, I remember a few years ago, a young man was setting up in a restaurant and he saw this thing going by. And, and I remember Ed Langlois, the Sentinel interviewed him later. And he, he saw this going by and he just came to the window and he just stood in the window with his hands folded, like in prayer. And Ed went in and talked to him afterwards. And he, in this man, young, young man, uh, 20 something or other, he said he'd been, he'd been searching and looking, you know, in the kind of the spiritual religious realm, searching. And he saw this going by and it just grabbed him. It just jumped out at him. I remember we were going by uh, some kind of a, I don't know, gym or, or exercise place where they were doing exercise. It was kind of like, I don't know, the spin, spin class or whatever, where there was a coach kind of leading everybody. And we would go, go by and I could hear the coach, uh, a woman uh, explaining to everybody in the exercise <laughs> class over the mic, what was going on? She said, yeah, I was raised Catholic. And you know what this is, is this, and that's what this is all about. So she was, she was catechizing the people in her studio over what we were doing out on the street, you know, so it's just kind of exciting, but it's just a very great, this year we, we didn't go to the North Park uh, District, we went up to Cooch Park, which is a little bit closer to the cathedral, didn't take us through uh, the business part of Portland, but more through the residential areas around the cathedral, um, because there was another uh, organization doing something down in the North Park area, and we didn't want to uh, conflict with them mm-hmm. so we went just a little different route but still it was it was a little bit of a overcast day we had a little bit of light drizzle uh, but still great crowd uh, of folks of people of faith w- walked with us young old children families processed to uh, Cooch Park and there we again prayed the rosary and you know there were people 
hanging out in the park. And I remember one guy was playing Frisbee with his dog uh, all the while on the other side of the park while we were praying. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I wonder what he's thinking about all of this, you know? And so we just look forward to be a witness to our faith, to show forth our love for Jesus, especially in the blessed sacrament. It's nothing, uh, you know, we don't carry anything but Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no, it's not any kind of a, uh, no signs or anything like that. It's just a prayerful way of, of taking. And I, I, I always, ever since I've been doing this here in Portland, as we process with Jesus through the streets, of course, I'm carrying the blessed sacrament. I just ask Jesus to take possession of his city. Mm-hmm. You know, I keep praying to him the whole while I'm walking, you know, just keep repeating it from time to time. Jesus, this is your city. These are your mm-hmm. beloved uh, citizens. Uh, Take our city, take possession of our city. It's yours. We give it to you. We, we honor you. Uh, take full possession of it uh, and, and take control. So that, that's it's a, just a very beautiful, beautiful celebration. Yeah. And when you mention Archbishop, because we are living in an area where there are so many nuns, those who do not particularly have any religious background, you're you're bringing Christ into an area that can be so unfamiliar or maybe uncomfortable for a vast amount of the population that um, we are trying to share that good news, but to a large population that may not understand, maybe have anger or or, or woundedness, um, the need for us to continue to bring Jesus out even when it's uncomfortable, even when we have the threat of persecution. Have we always had that as, as Christians, that desire to bring Christ out into the streets? Yeah, you know, and I think, as I mentioned, you know, in the earlier days of, of these, the origin of these processions, it was in a time of much deeper faith. Yeah. And, and so it was, like I said, an expression of the whole community. Now, as that's why I said, it's taken on a very different mm-hmm. feel to it, a, a different purpose, really. Yeah. It isn't so much so that the whole neighborhood can celebrate uh, the, the the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Now it's more of, this is a public testimony, a public witness of our faith in Christ, our faith in the Eucharist. And yeah, it can be uncomfortable. Uh, we haven't had much bad happen. You know, we've had a few people make a few comments, but overall it's been very peaceful and more curiosity, I think, on the part of people than anything else. And hey, I'm happy to spark that curiosity uh, because that might begin uh, somebody's journey, you know, uh, to come to know Jesus. We're processing Jesus in the streets. We're witnessing to our faith in him because we want people to come to know Christ. We want people to come to know and love him, mm-hmm. uh, and and so we're willing we're willing to do this uh, in, in our public witness. And uh, yeah, we just we leave it in God's hands how He's going to touch the hearts uh, of those who who witness us witnessing right. uh, to Jesus. Right. And again, be a witness of love with love. That that as you're out there witnessing, it is with compassion, 
with love, with that humility. We talked earlier, Archbishop, because you had a gathering, more of a retreat setting with the bishops for the summertime, the assembly. But just let's let's talk a little bit about the role of the bishops in terms of documents, a guidance as we look to teach more about the Holy Eucharist, as we teach about Jesus's presence in the Blessed Sacrament. Some of the things that the bishops have really done to help instruct the people, to help guide, as you said, um, guide us to sanctity, guide us with teaching, uh, and help us with the embrace of Jesus and the Eucharist. Yeah, you know, the, the bishops uh, have launched upon, I think we may have mentioned this in a previous program, have launched upon a, a, a new initiative to create what, we were, what we're referring to, the bishops are referring to, as a Eucharistic revival. You know that sounds that almost sounds uh, 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 very Protestant sounding, doesn't? We're gonna have we're gonna have a, a, a good old fashioned revival, uh, but we are gonna have a, a revival because uh, a, a number of reasons. Uh, partly, what sparked this was, as you remember, some years ago that I think it was a Pew research mm-hmm. study uh, in, uh, discovered that only about a third of Catholics believed in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, as the church teaches that and understands that. Well, that's shocking. And so people's faith in the Eucharist, belief in what the Eucharist is, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ truly present in the Eucharist. If the people's faith in the Eucharist, in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist is weak, that needs to be strengthened. And that's something that really falls upon the shoulders of the shepherds of the church, especially the bishops, but then with the priests and deacons and laity, religious in, in, in communion. So we're, we're launching on to rein, re, reinvigorate people's faith and belief in the Eucharist. The other thing that's happened uh, in recent time, of course, is the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, that people got away from going to mass, you know, not, not by any fault of theirs. And I know some, <laughs> still have a lot of people very angry with the bishops for uh, uh, allowing the, the closure of churches or limitations on, on numbers in churches during the height of the pandemic. But nevertheless, the reality is people have, have many people have been away from the mass watching at home, and maybe they've stopped even doing that now. So there's a great uh, concern about making sure we, we bring those people back to the source and summit of their life, which is what the church teaches the Eucharist is. So uh, we, yeah, we need a revival. We need to revive our faith and practice in the Holy Eucharist. So, so we have this National Eucharistic Revival, and it's going to actually, it's going to happen on various levels. It'll happen, at a, and it, you know, it'll all be organized uh, by the Conference of Bishops, but locally it'll be organized on a diocesan level and certainly on a parish level. And then this is all going to build. So we're going to have local stuff going on in parishes, in dioceses, maybe regionally. And then it's going to, it's going to all move toward a national Eucharistic event. So we're going to have this, this it, what's being billed as the Catholic event of the decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be a national Eucharistic celebration, a national Eucharistic uh, revival. We're calling it a Congress, but it, you know that sounds kind of like a technical word, but it's, it's going to be a gathering. It's going to be a gathering of the, of the church in the United States, as many as, as will come and gather in 2024. So everything we're building toward in 2022, 2023, 
is building to this Eucharistic event, which will happen in 2024, July 17th to the 21st. It's going to be in Indianapolis, Indiana. So we're going to, we're going to have, we're going to have a revival uh, and, and renew our faith in, in, in the Eucharist uh, and, and pray for great things for that. And as part of the, as part of this Eucharistic revival, the bishops have issued a teaching document on the Holy Eucharist to remind us all of what we believe about the Eucharist and what that implies for our life. It isn't just about a matter of dogma and what we believe about the Eucharist. It's what our faith in the Eucharist commits us to in being witnesses of Christ uh, in the world. So the bishops issued uh, this document called The Mystery of the Eucharist in the Life of the Church to sort of accompany uh, this effort. Right. And similar to what we talked about last week when we talked about the magisterium, the teaching arm of the church, the catechism of the Catholic Church, which really unpacks all of our teachings from faith and moral life to the creed, to the commandments. When the bishops write a letter such as this, um, it's not like they're saying anything new. It's let's let's talk to the people where they are today and help to unpack maybe a piece. So maybe give us a sense of the spirit behind this life of the church, the mist was a mystery of the Eucharist and and what really the bishops were hoping that they could communicate through this document. Well, yes, the document is, I mean, there's nothing new here. Right. Uh, you know, so you know, if people are looking for a, a radically new uh, take, if you will, on the Eucharist. Uh, it's, it's, this, isn't, this isn't what this document is about. Although there are some very contemporary references in the document to our life of, of living out mm-hmm. the Eucharistic ministry mystery in our lives today, given some of the particular challenges of our time. So I don't want, I don't want it to say it's not a relevant document to our time. It's very relevant to our time uh, for many reasons. So the document is, is basically uh, divided into two sections, uh, two broad sections. The first section is, is, is just simply entitled The Gift. Uh, the Gift, of course, the gift is a reference to the gift of the Holy Eucharist given to us by Christ. Uh, what this first section tries to do is teach. What is it we believe about the Eucharist? What is the church's understanding of the Eucharist from the very beginning and has been articulated over the centuries. So it, it's, 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 it's what do we believe? And then the second part of the document is our response. Okay, if that's what we as Catholics believe about the Most Holy Eucharist, then that demands a response from us. We cannot stay neutral in the face of that. We cannot sort of go, eh, okay, that's all very interesting, but, you know, just go on. No, no, no. (laughs) If we really believe what we say we believe about the Holy Eucharist, then that demands a response on our part. So, you know, it's two pieces. The first piece, again, now, on the faith, there, there are basically three things that are highlighted there in the dogmatic section or the teaching section, if you will. Number one is on the sacrifice of Christ. I don't think many people are aware, quite honestly, many Catholics are aware that in the Holy Eucharist, in the Holy Mass, the sacrifice of Christ on the altar of the cross on Calvary 2,000 years ago is sacramentally represented in an unbloody manner, that the Mass is essentially a sacrifice. It is the sacrifice of Christ 
made present for us again on our altars so that we can join ourselves and our lives to that of Christ in offering to the Father. So we've got to get back to understanding what it means to speak of the holy sacrifice in the Mass. Because I'll tell you something, I grew up and I, it was the time, I, I know, but I grew up in the late 60s through the 70s in Catholic school. I graduated Catholic school at 12 years and I hadn't a clue what the Mass was really all about. I really didn't. I thought the Mass was sort of the representation or a, a commemoration of the Last Supper where Jesus gave us his body and blood to eat, and that's it, um, which is partially true. It's partially true, but it's not the fullness of what the Church understood and understands by the Eucharistic sacrifice of Christ. What Jesus did actually at the Last Supper was anticipate his death on the cross in that in that sacred meal, that sacred banquet. So it's a sacrificial banquet. And so we need to get people to understand again what it means to speak of the holy sacrifice of the Mass. The second section is on the real presence of Christ. This is a crisis that so few Catholics, percentage-wise, believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, that this is not a sign, this is not a symbol, this is the real thing. This is Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, truly, substantially, really, present. After the consecration, we cannot speak of bread and wine other than the appearances of bread and wine, because there is no more bread there. There is no more wine there. It is no longer bread and wine. It is Jesus. And then the third section there talks about communion. Okay, what does it mean to be to receive this, this sacred uh, sacrament, to be then in communion with Christ and communion with each other in the church, in the body of Christ, which is the church? So sacrifice, real presence, and then communion with Christ and with each other in the body of Christ. That's what we believe about what the Eucharist does for us. Then the second section on response is our response, first of all, is, is faith, is to give thanksgiving and worship to God at such a great gift. The first thing we have to do is give thanks, yes. believe, yes. give thanks, worship. We worship God in the Eucharist, especially so uh, sacramental worship, sacramental uh, liturgical celebration, worship of the, of, the, of the true presence of Christ. Secondly, to, be, to talk about transformation in Christ, that we are transformed in Christ, that the Eucharist uh, transforms us as we come in contact with the Eucharist and especially receive the Eucharist. We become what we receive. The church, the mystical body of Christ becomes what she receives in the Eucharist. She, she becomes and is built up more and more into Christ. The individual Christian is transformed by this sacrament, should be transformed spiritually in, our, in the depth of our soul. Conversion, that, this, the, that the sacrament calls us for conversion, and to, so that we live a life that's coherent with the Eucharistic mystery we celebrate. So in other words, we can't say that we believe this about the Eucharist, and we cannot receive the Eucharist and then live a life that is not in conformity with the Eucharistic mystery and with our faith. Now, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Yeah, I get to celebrate the Mass. I get to be the principal celebrant. I, I confect the Eucharist. I offer through my hands as a priest, as a bishop, the sacrifice of Christ. But I'm a sinner. And I'm, I'm a sinner just like everyone else. And I need conversion. I need to be converted every day more and more to the Lord. I need confession. <laughs> Desperately. But, you know, we're also, we're all sinners. We're all on a journey. We're all on a process of conversion. It's a lifelong process. We're never going to be fully converted until we see God face to face. But we, we have to be striving 
to live a life that's that's coherent. This is what the bishops mean by Eucharistic coherence. Our life must be coherent with the mystery that we celebrate. I can't, you know, this is one of the things, quite mm-hmm. honestly, the bishops talk about. I cannot be a radical, public, in-your-face advocate for abortion and then pretend that that's consistent and coherent with being a, a devout Catholic and receiving the body and blood of Christ. Um, so it's, it's about conversion of heart. The Eucharist calls us to a deeper conversion and to care for our brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. the poor and the needy, to, to be Christ, to see in them the suffering Christ. Remember Jesus, you know, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And then finally, food for the journey. It's our, mm-hmm. it's our viaticum. It's our manna in the desert. Mm-hmm. You know, for the Israelites, they had manna, the bread from heaven to guide them in the way through the desert to the promised land. Well, this, this Eucharistic mystery is food for the journey, for our journey, our pilgrimage through this life to, to the heavenly life that, that is yet to come. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a quick synopsis of what uh, this beautiful document of the bishops teaches us about the Eucharist. That's to accompany mm-hmm. this whole effort at Eucharistic revival uh, in the church here in the United States. Right. And I know we're going to hear more on the diocesan level, on the national level of these different levels. Each year, there's going to be different things happening on the Eucharistic revival. So I just want to key our listeners to keep tuned in for that and to participate on the local level and remember to spend time. I think uh, the lesson that I learned from this session, Archbishop, is the power of Eucharistic adoration. You know, so many of our churches do have the opportunity to come at certain times of the day or maybe throughout the week to be in the presence of the Lord, that we can take advantage of that, spend time. If there's something we're struggling with, use that time to be in his presence. Because I love your tagline, Jesus changes everything. And if that's true, that means I should be changing to be more like him. And that's what I seek. And I hope our listeners are seeking that as well. So I'm looking forward to the revival, Archbishop. Let's do it. Yeah, so am am I. Let's get to it. (laughs) With that, would you please help us close with your blessing? Yes. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you, your families and loved ones, and be with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for joining us today on The Voice of the Shepherd. We look forward to sharing with you again next week. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale. And until our next encounter, may God's peace be with you. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through MatraDayRadio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.